Well, good morning. I'm having a hard time not being distracted uh, right off the bat because I think Phil and I just took our uh, relationship to a whole new level. He was getting cords, and then he just gave me like an attaboy, like right on the butt right before I sat down. So, uh, yeah, so um, that, was, that was good. That was good, I guess. Yeah. Um, well, welcome. Good morning. Um, if I haven't met you in person yet, uh, my name is Kent Johnson, and I'm the, I guess we would call, soon-to-be church planting pastor that this church will be planting in this coming year. Um, woo, all right. One person's excited about that. I'm excited about that. Um, but on behalf of uh, our lead pastor, uh, Phil, and myself, and all of the people here, uh, if you're visiting with us today, if you're a guest, we just are so thankful that you would come and spend your time with us. Um, so we, we don't want to take that for granted, especially on a day when that wind is just blowing massive drifts. So thank you for coming out. Uh, we hope that uh, we make this time worthwhile for you. And today we're kind of continuing through a series uh, that Phil has been leading us through on spiritual habits. And um, just before we progress, you know, a lot of times I like to think, uh, before we go into the message too much, I like to, I always think it's good to stop and say, okay, so what and why are we doing this? Like, why why are we doing a talk on, on or why are we going through a series on spiritual habits? And, and so just to kind of clarify, I think Phil has such a great statement that he's been saying each week, so it's always great to, you know, do things the way Phil does. Uh, so, a spiritual habit... Spiritual habits are the rhythms of living that God uses to increasingly transform and conform a person's life to look like Jesus. So spiritual habits are the rhythms of living that God uses to increasingly transform and conform us to look like Jesus. So the goal, the desire, should be to start looking and living like Jesus to think like Jesus, to feel like Jesus, to see people the way Jesus sees them. So we don't do, self, we don't do spiritual habits as some form of self-help or uh, I'm just going to be a better version of me. As Phil said last week, we're actually being transformed into a new creation. And our goal, our desire is to be transformed to look and live like Jesus. So we want to develop practices, cultivate things in our life that will help transform our minds and our hearts to be more like Jesus. So I think it's always good that we say, so why are we talking about that? I think, I think uh, even if you aren't someone who is following Jesus, you would say, you know, a lot of times the issues that people have with uh, church tends to be more right with like the religion or the practices uh, but not necessarily anything Jesus actually said. So if our goal is to be like him, I would hope today that you would see the value and even some of the spiritual habits that we, we've discussed that we're going to keep discussing today because they're, I think they're things that will actually help us to be people in the world who live and look like Jesus. Well, two weeks ago, uh, we, we started off the series and we talked about worship. We talked about the spiritual habit of worship and I think Jared and the team reinforced that this morning, right? That was... That was awesome. Uh, And this week we discussed, or last week, we discussed the rhythm in our lives of reading Scripture, of knowing the Bible, both individually and then, you know, corporately here together. And that we don't do it just for information intake, right, to just be people who know more stuff, but that it would be transformative in our lives, that would have reshaped the week, it would actually 
change the patterns of our mind, that it would help us to not conform with what the world says, but what God says about who we are and what our role is here in this earth. So today I'd like to continue on this idea of transformation. And we're going to discuss a couple of uh, spiritual habits that I think uh, maybe aren't actually, but can be seemingly at odds with our culture today. We're going to talk about the rhythms of silence and solitude. Now, maybe you haven't thought of that before as a spiritual habit of silent, silence and solitude. But throughout the centuries, uh, you might be thinking like a monk, right? Like, you know, that there were monasteries and people withdraw, they go into silence and solitude. And, and yes, that's a way to practice it. But uh, today I'm not going to talk about doing a, a monk-esque like uh, silence and solitude, but how we in our everyday rhythms of our life can practice silence and solitude. And the, so uh, I think sometimes just to kind of clarify definitions, when I talk about silence and solitude, I think often the church uh, can use the term quiet time. If you've ever heard that in a, in a church culture, they can say, do your quiet time, or I was just in my quiet time. Um, but regardless of what you may have heard the term, we're going to talk kind of about specifically the idea of being silent and being in solitude, being alone. To have regular time in your everyday rhythms of life where you spend with God, where you stop, you're still, you're silent, and you're in solitude. Well, here's why I think, here's kind of the main reason why I think that sometimes silence and solitude seem to be at odds with our world today. Because I, I, I believe we live in a, an increasingly noisy and chaotic and busy world. And the culture is becoming more and more distracted because of all the things accessible to us. For example, if you're like, if you're like most people, you probably ha, uh, have filled your, uh, your day is filled with noise from, from the morning until you go to bed. As soon as you wake up, what do you do? You check your phone. You might turn on music or the TV to watch the news, and then you get ready and you get in your car, you head to work, and while you're in your car, what do you do? You turn on a podcast, you turn on music, you have some kind of sound around you. You listen to whatever your favorite show is. And then you get to work, and you're never really fully disengaged. You're obviously dealing with coworkers or the people around you. And you always, of course, have your phone on you, which provides this kind of continual input into maybe your favorite sports teams or whatever else you like to follow throughout your day. And then you go home on the morning, on the, on the afternoon commute, and you have more music or whatever it is, more noise, and then you get home, you spend some time with your family, you probably check your phone, maybe troll, troll Facebook a little bit or whatever it is that your social media that you prefer. I'm old, so I say Facebook. You watch some Netflix, and then what do you do? You probably check your phone one more time before you go to bed, set your alarm on your phone, and you go to bed to wake up tomorrow to another noisy day. So, now, just so you know, I know that I'm going to be shocking to several of you right now. I know I don't look a day over 29, but I'm actually 38 years old. I'm, I'm almost as old as Phil. <laughs> sorry, that was not in my notes. That was just, sorry. That was for the butt slap. Anyway, so my age group, people my age, my generation, has been labeled by many sociologists as an exennial. And you might be thinking, what's an exennial, Kent? Well, let me tell you, because it's the next thing in my notes, is that exennials are a micro-generation that are born between the ages of 1978 and 1983. They 
Exennials, like their younger millennial friends and family, have grown up or been immersed in a culture learning to adapt quickly in a world undergoing rapid technological change. The motto is often change or die. Keep up or you'll be left behind. And, if, and it has developed in, in us this deep desire to keep up, to be connected constantly to community, and to be known by the greater culture. But the distinction as an exennial, like our older Gen Xer friends and family, we remember a time when most technologies, or we remember a time without most technologies. A time when our digital, when there was no digital world or digital presence, if that's a thing. Churches didn't have to worry about websites, right? Or if it did, it was really awful, right? (laughs) In fact, the reason we're a micro-generation between Gen Xers and Millennials as Xennials is because we uh, were defined by the fact that technology was developing rapidly right as we were coming of age. In fact, that, that often defined us, and it helped us to bridge the uh, understanding of the older generations and how millennials see the world. We understand this idea that we need to keep changing. It's okay that technology is changing our world for the better. We're optimistic about that, but yet we see the drawbacks that our older generations see. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm in some magic time window, but I think it has given me a unique perspective on this idea of silence and solitude. See, I still remember a time in elementary school, uh, as, as technology was developing, we got our first, the, the school got its first Apple Macintosh computers. I think there were two of them for the whole school. They did two things, or at least that's all we were told they did, was they played Oregon Trail. That's right. Phil can relate to this message today. And then they had these awesome, amazing things. They were called a, a CD-ROM. And you could put like an entire encyclopedias of information on one disc. Right? We weren't ever allowed to touch the disc in case we scratched it. So we, it stayed on the shelf and the, the, the person in the media center would tell us that it did that, but we didn't actually ever use it because it was too valuable to wreck. So, I grew up at a time, and I have experienced the rise of pagers. Remember those? Boom. All right. Cell phones, emails. I remember when Net Zero came out. If you don't know what it is, I'm just going to keep smoothing over that. Websites, smartphones, MySpace, Facebook, Twitter, podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Instagram, and the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing that I'm no longer cool enough to be part of. But I also remember a time when we didn't have any of those things. So I understand what it was like when our first computer in our house, when we didn't have a computer, and then our first computer was a Commodore 64. Yeah, it's a couple people on. And then I remember spending all my, uh, a good chunk of the money that I was given at my high school graduation. When I was going to college, I was going to need a computer to write papers on. So I got a gateway computer. Remember those? They came in like a big cow box. Remember those? Yeah? No? Okay. Sorry for all you younger people. We're just reminiscing now. I'll move on. But because there was this kind of continual change in technology to another thing and another thing is that we learned, we were the first generation that understood a time when there wasn't these things, but we learned that we needed to embrace the change and the chaos of our rapidly developing world. 
we learned to live in a culture with continual noise. We learned that we needed to adapt and stay connected and to advance ourselves in our careers and in our personal lives. So what is the first thing that we do when we wake up lying in our beds? We plug in, we jump onto our phones. And because of it, silence and stillness and solitude sometimes elude us. And for even some of us, it can actually unnerve us, right? We have grown to be a people with an aversion to any quiet in our lives. I'm not just going to study now. I'm going to study with earbuds in. I'm just going to have the TV on in the background while I take care of these tasks that I need to do for white noise until I get distracted by it and binge watch 10 seasons of Friends. (laughs) I'm just going to pull my phone out for a second while I'm standing in this line because 10 seconds of waiting feels unbearable to me. I literally remember a time a couple of years ago. This is kind of an embarrassing, well, I shouldn't, yeah, it's an embarrassing story. I don't get embarrassed very easily, but this is, I just feel so stupid for doing this. Several, a couple of years ago, I, I was putting uh, some cheese in a tortilla and putting it in the microwave, because as my wife Heather will tell you, this is my go-to snack, is like a cheesy tortilla when I want to snack on something. And so I, I put it in the microwave, and I just hit all threes, just three, three, three. And start. Now, it, didn't, it doesn't matter that it was specifically three, but just so you know, like personally, this is just a total side thing. I put in, like whenever I put something in the microwave, I just, it seems faster to me to just hit one button. So if I know it needs to be in there at least four minutes, I'll be like four, 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 and hit start. Drives my wife nuts, by the way. But I'll just take it out when I know it's going to be done, right? Like, oh yeah, it needs to be in a minute, so I'll just hit three, 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 and I'll take it out after about 60 seconds when I'm, when I'm back to it. So I put it in, and after about five seconds of having to wait, I was like, oh, that's right. I wanted to read this, I wanted to read this one article, or I wanted to look at this one thing that I was going to go back to on my phone. So what I do, I pull out my phone, and I'm trolling along, and I'm trolling along, and before I know it, three minutes and 33 seconds has passed by, and there was not cheesy goodness in the microwave anymore for me. It was this weird brown really gross looking thing. So don't put a tortilla cheese in for three minutes and 33 seconds. We get distracted so easily. And in all seriousness, I believe it is more difficult to disengage from our culture today because of all the ways that we're connected. All the stuff that is at our fingertips to distract us. Because there's always the next thing. And now I want to stop and say, look, because of understanding a time when there wasn't technology and a time that there is now. This is not a message today to say, like, technology is bad. Your phones are awful. And this is not a message to say, like, we need to be, uh, we need to withdraw from culture and remove ourselves from all those things. Because the answer is not that our culture is bad for its desire to wanting to advance and grow and stay connected. In fact, those are really great things about our culture that we should embrace. But the trouble is, is when we allow ourselves to be people who have an aversion to being alone and who cannot stand to be quiet. And sometimes, unfortunately, the church can mimic the world and it can be harmful when the message of the church says, 
can start to sound like our culture. So we say, hey, watch this message, like our page, uh, like us on several platforms of social media, come to this event, ours is better, bring your friend, do this, talk to your friend, do this, do more, do more, do more, do more. Oh, and also do your quiet time. When I first started following Jesus as a young adult, I don't know that I was ever directly told to do a quiet time, but it was often implied. People would talk about like doing their quiet time or people who seemed very spiritual did quiet time. I had no idea what that meant, but I knew I was probably supposed to be doing it, and I guessed that it was probably supposed to be done quietly. Obviously, it probably meant that I was supposed to be reading my Bible or praying or doing something, but I didn't really know what exactly I was supposed to do, and I didn't really know why. And just like earlier when we talked about why are we even talking about spiritual habits, if you don't know the why, and I think often we don't do the things because we say, well, why am I doing it? I'm not going to add this practice into my life if I don't understand the value of why I should, ha- I should be doing it. And in the do more, keep up culture that I was growing up in, it felt like one more thing to add to my spiritual to-do list or even just my regular to-do list. And really, I have to sit and be silent and find solitude, not be connected to anything. That felt really unnerving to me. Well, I want to tell you today that we need to add the spiritual habits of silence and solitude because they are not meant to be one more thing, but they are meant for you to disengage from an ever-increasingly engaging culture. They afford us much-needed time to stop and to rest and to pause and to breathe. Have you ever had a moment in your life when you felt really down about something? You were restless in your soul you, about maybe something that was going on in life, and then instead of sitting with that feeling for a while, stopping, you start trolling the Internet or you find something else to distract you. And soon, yes, you probably forgot what you were anxious about, but you also missed a really great opportunity to know yourself better. To resolve whatever created that empty feeling inside in the first place. We aren't allowing ourselves space when we don't take time for silence and solitude. I believe that they will transform our lives as much as any other spiritual activity. It doesn't mean that it's more important than being in community or more important than reading your Bible, but it is vital, I think, to your spiritual health. The same way that showering is physically healthy for you, if you don't shower for a month, right, you start to smell, people don't want to be around you, you might actually start to get sick, you might have things growing on you. I don't know if that's actually medically true, but it seems like it would happen. (laughs) Silence and solitude are the regular rhythms that keep your soul healthy. And I think there are kind of two primary ways that I want to talk about today that they, they, they add to your spiritual health. The first way is through self-reflection. We are transformed in silence and solitude through self-reflection. I feel Jesus gives us the best example of this in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew is one of Jesus' followers, and he gives an account of his life. And in in chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, 
Jesus says this, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me look at the speck in your eye, when all the time there is a plank sticking out of your eye? You hypocrite. Wow, Jesus doesn't really mince words. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is addressing this need for self-reflection. Most people I've met in life have a desire to help those people around them. They want to offer advice or at least be a helping hand. They want to emotionally and physically and spiritually be there for the people that they love. You can't help other people around you if you can't see yourself clearly because you aren't healthy. It's the sick leading the sick. Have you ever heard the example of the plumber's house with the leaky faucet? I don't have any leaky faucets, by the way. I'm a, I'm a plumber also, so that's... I didn't, I didn't say that. If, it, if you didn't know me, I'm also, I also do plumbing. So, anyway. Uh, or the mechanic's car that drips oil. Right? We often desire to help people, but we neglect our own emotional and spiritual health and don't deal with the stuff inside because we drowned out those moments when our soul says something's wrong. We allow ourselves to be distracted. We, we avoid silence and solitude. See, silence and solitude afford us time to reflect on the things we otherwise would ignore. And you will live life on mission better. You will be a better person in our community of followers of Jesus Christ if you take time to self-reflect on what planks might be keeping you from seeing clearly. Do you have a plank of some past hurt? A plank of insecurity? Do you have a plank of arrogance that you know better than everybody else? Or a plank of not having enough margin in your life? Whatever it is. In fact, our culture today, and again, I think often when I talk about the technologies and the social media, I don't want the message to be that it's bad. But we can always misuse things, right? There are always good, healthy ways to use the things around us, to use the tools that we have in our life, and there are unhealthy ways to use it. But in our culture today, everybody feels they have the right to express their opinion. And social media has developed this even more in us by giving us all a platform to speak. And there are some really good things about that, right? Some really good developing things that allow social change. But what do we sometimes do with it? Speck, 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 sawdust, sawdust, sawdust. And we stare at all the sawdust in front of us and ignore the plank in our eye. Because let's be honest, it's easier to distract myself with all this sawdust than to really deal with this thing sticking out of my eye. Self-reflection is our way of becoming healthy, removing the planks. Phil actually took us through a series a little while back on emotional and spiritual health and how those two really sometimes go hand in hand. If you don't remember it, you missed it, you just weren't here, I, I would say go back and listen to it on the website. I know I'm telling you to do one more thing, but just ignore that other point I made and do the one more thing because it's really good for you. But silence allows us time to reflect about why you feel the way that you do. 
So I'm just, I'm just going to ask you a few questions. What, what, is the mo- what is your motivation for saying the things that you've said? Why did you act that way? Why is this thing in my life bothering me? Who do I want to become? Am I getting to where I want to be in life? What are the desires of my heart? Does God have a plan for me? See, it's in these moments of silence and solitude in which we can be truly honest with ourselves. We can let go of the need to express our opinion to the world around us, and we can face the reality of really who we are and who we desire to be. Now, the second thing that I think silence and solitude transform in our lives is self-examination. Now, I know I just said self-reflection, but I, I want to talk about the distinction between the two. But first, I want to I read to you a couple of scriptures that I'm going to be referencing. So the first one is in Psalm 4.4. David, who was a man after God's own heart, King David, who was someone we champion as a hero of our faith, who did some awful things in his life, but yet was someone who would be self-reflective and self-examining often, said, when you are in your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Later on in, in the Psalms, he poets in Psalm 139, 23, and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in a way that's everlasting. See, self-reflection over here, the first thing I talked about, it helps us to know ourselves better. When we take time to ask questions of ourselves and we reflect on our thoughts and our actions and our desires and our motives. But it is through self-examination, spending time with God, where we assess our lives to see if it is congruent with God's word. We examine our lives against God's standard to see what he desires for our life and how he desires us to be. This is the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. It is not, if our life isn't congruent, what do we do? We repent, we receive grace and forgiveness from God. Self-examination develops a humility within us because it reminds us of who God is and what he's done for us. And it reminds us of who we are and our need for him. We often do self-examination through silent prayers where we pause and say, God, search me. Test me. Is there any offensive way in me? And help lead me to where you want me to be. We give permission to God to address our hearts through self-examination. Alone in silence, we can be fully vulnerable before God and we give him full access to our hearts. So no matter what the communal public facade that we may put up, it'll never mask 
when God can see our hearts. And when we're alone, we give him permission to examine it. In fact, it breeds humility. Silence and solitude breed humility because arrogant people don't, they don't stop and ask questions of God or of anybody else. In fact, not even of themselves often. They don't even self-reflect, right? Because they already have all the answers. We want to be humble people, not just before God, but before our people that we encounter in our lives, right? I want to be someone of humility, not like I have all the answers all the time, but that I would examine myself and say, what is my motives for doing this? Why am I doing this? God, is this congruent with how you desire for me to live? And if not, then I need to change something. If I don't ever pause and ask questions. I think the other thing that self-examination is that it reminds us that our faith is not fake. That you're not a fraud. That when you spend time with God, that this is real. That you have a relationship with him, a relationship that you have with a father who allows you who, who, who speaks to you, who talks to you, who corrects you when need be, right? Who encourages you. So what keeps us from doing these things? Because, right, I think we all would agree that self-reflection and self-examination are probably good things in our lives. So why do we have an aversion to silence and solitude? Why do we often neglect them in today's age? Well, I think sometimes it could be FOMO. If you've never heard that term, it means fear of missing out. It's actually a term that can be, is like a definable term now, uh, not just like a, you know, like term in our culture, but it's actually something that people are being diagnosed with, having FOMO, the fear of missing out. They feel compelled to pick up their phones because there's something happening that they're missing out on. Things do move quickly in our world today, and we don't want to be left out. We want to keep up. So we always feel the need to be connected. So sometimes that can be a hindrance to us. I think sometimes... It's because, let's be honest, I think we actually enjoy the, enjoy the attention of others. How many followers do we have? How many people do we know like the things that we say or do? Sometimes, right, in the absence of an audience, life can seem a little less significant. I mean, if, if you help somebody on the street and you don't tweet about it, does anybody know? Right? That it happened? Isn't that the old proverb? The tree falls in the woods. So our world can seem kind of lacking, right, if we don't get this third-party affirmation. There's no one grading our performance or praising our work, and so no one is giving us a literal or digital thumbs up. And let's be honest, then self-examination can seem a little less fun, a little more actually grueling because we have someone who knows the depths of our heart instead of the good facade we put out there. But the truth is, that that's all fake. And no one will be as honest with you as God. No one will expose the desires of your heart, but also reveal the desires of your heart and his heart for you more than God will. And often I think sometimes, because I've kind of already alluded to this, I feel it's because we're, we're not going to like what we find. Right? It's easier to just go through life distracted, busy, than to pause and really look at the desires of our heart to say, what is my motivation for doing these things? 
because no one wants to pause and clean up their own mess. It's easier just to avoid and then to go through the daily activities of the world, the everyday rhythms, and to, and to, and to put everything on the world around you and the people in your life rather than looking inside and saying, I might be part of the problem. You ever seen those like motivational posters? You know what I'm talking about? Like in, they were like a big fad for like in like the 90s and early 2000s. You know, it'd be like endurance and there'd be like a guy climbing a mountain, right? Well, I had a boss who loved those posters, but on the flip side, there's actually these demotivational posters. You ever seen those? And my favorite was he had two that he actually had in his office and one was a picture of a raindrop hitting a big like lake and it said, awareness, no raindrop thinks it's responsible for the flood. And then there was another one that said, um, I think it was dissatisfaction, and it said, when the only common denominator between all your unsatisfying relationships is you. I mean, they're tongue-in-cheek, right? But there's some truth to that that kind of hurts. It's like, ooh. Maybe I need to look at that because why, why am I not finding contentment? Maybe it's because you're not taking time to pause and reflect and to change and to allow God to transform you. See, the funny thing about silence and solitude is that it brings a peace that surpasses all understanding. It takes time, but it brings a peace that the world cannot provide you the distractions and the things of this world will never give you. Now, this doesn't mean that taking time for silence and solitude, you won't discover something difficult, a past hurt or something that you need to work through. It doesn't mean that you just push down the feelings and, ah, I'm at peace. It means that you might have to sort through some stuff, but ultimately it'll create you. You might have to shower but it'll make you healthy. You know how you feel right after you shower? You're like, ah, I feel so clean, right? That's the transformative way that silence and solitude change you. You self-reflect, you self-examine, and then you can, ah. Now I know why I'm doing that. Maybe I shouldn't say those things. That's really not a good thing for me or the people around me. You have this inner peace and this confidence that comes from knowing your Father God sees you fully, clearly, all the bad stuff and good things in you. You are fully vulnerable to Him and you walk out of it with inner peace because you know that He loves you. And he accepts you fully. And as Phil says time and again, but I'm going to say it to you one more time so that you remember in moments of silence, we hear God say to us, you know that there's nothing you can do that will make me love you more. And there's nothing you can do that will make me love you less. So we can have the best community here at Clarity. We can be the best people with one another. But it's only in silence and solitude with our God that you can find that peace that surpasses all understanding. There are several times in Scripture 
where Moses, David, Elijah, other heroes that we would say of our faith take time. They actually model examples, and I could go through and give you scriptures, but I'm not going to do that right now. But if you had just Google like silence or you know solitude or withdraw in, in any kind of Bible app, you will see that it, this is a common practice of God's people throughout the years. Jesus himself practiced this very commonly in his ministry, that he would take times to withdraw, to pray, to be with God, to commune with him. My hope is that you will want to live the best possible life on mission and that you will find time to disengage from this culture, not because the culture is bad. Engage in the culture, but take moments to pause from it and breathe and to spend time with God in silence and solitude, to self-reflect and to self-examine what is in my heart so that you will better serve yourself and the people around you. Can you imagine how transformative this could be to us if we all started doing this as a regular habit? Can you imagine the way that we would look differently? See, this is, the, uh, this is actually, I think, the catalyst to all the other spiritual habits that we're going to talk about. Because these things will breed, they help us to develop worship. They help us to develop knowing Scripture. But we have to take moments to pause and to be silent. So let's let God change us from the inside out so that we live this transformative life. So as going back and uh, just if I can end us again on this same idea, because we want to engage in spiritual habits so that we develop rhythms of living that God will use to increasingly transform and conform us to look and live like Jesus.